Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome to midweek, everybody. We've just gone midday. Good to have your company here. Just the two hours of me today, because the great show running at straight will be two till three. And then three till six is the run home, and they are off site today. They're in Hamilton. Sam nods at Hamilton. Um, so you can go down and see them, and they're in the um, casino building catchment area. And the big boss, Craig Hutchison, Bingers, Daryl there, Mark Richardson. Oh, it'll be great. It'll be great. What have we got for you for the next couple of years? I'll tell you what we got. Very shortly, we're going to be talking about all this kicking. All this kicking in rugby. 92 kicks in general play, Chiefs Reds. And a huge rugby fan and analyst, friend of ours, counted every single kick in the game, including conversions, penalties, kickoffs, 20, 122 kicks in a game of rugby union football. That's a lot of kicks. And is it the right option that they're taking? Very shortly, we'll talk to Dave Ellis, he's a skills coach, about what he's making of it. Been involved in the game a long, long time globally, right from school level, Northern Territory, Argentina, Ireland, Blues, the whole lot. He's not far away. Also later on today, uh, Mark Howard, he's the wonderful host of the Howie Games. If you're into sports podcasts, get yourself involved in, in that. We'll be talking about the Ashes. Um... And Ian Smith just informed me he's just done his very first IPL. See if he survived that. Well, he did because he's with us, but um, I'll get some reflections on the IPL from just a man that loves his cricket, loves his sport, loves his surfing. And one of his kids is called um, the Little Penguin. It's one of his kids' names. I think that's right. Dolphin? No, it's Penguin. So Mark Howard, after one o'clock, uh, we'll have our TRB update. We'll have our What's Making News. We'll look back in the day. So much to look forward to, and lots of your calls and texts, hopefully, team. 0800 150 Really keen to get your thoughts after I've had this upcoming chat. And the aimless kicking, the box kicking, there's so much I want to talk about. This man, his name's Dave Ellis. He's a world-renowned skills coach, 
20 years at IRANS, which is the International Rugby Academy, set up by Murray Maxted 20 years ago, and Dave Ellis has been a skills man ever since then. So everything from schoolboys to international players, coaches, etc. Coached alongside Pat Lamb at Connaught. Uh, they won the Pro 12 in 2016. And three years assistant coach at the Blues as well. He does a lot of coaching online, lots of programs, lots of international teams tap into his mind. So time for us to tap into his mind. He joins us now, Mr. Skills Coach Rugby yourself. Uh, welcome in, Dave. Thanks, Dave. How are you, mate? Nice to hear from you. Yeah, good to, good to catch up with you again. been a long time since I spent a few days down at IRANS at Massey University and you were the skills coach down there. And um, there's a few things that have popped up by between me and the listeners that I just wanted to get some clarity on. And I guess the first one I want to ask you about is the roles of the halfback first five in controlling the game and how that's changed, you know, in the last sort of 15 years. Yeah, that's a real good question. Um, I think with it now, because we're so forward-orientated, I think the nines and tens really form a real guidance-type role. You know, there's a lot of making sure people are in the right places to, to maintain the attack, I guess. These... I remember oh, maybe two or three years ago, we, the public, the rugby public, were bemoaning the amount of box kicks. And I, and I think Faf de Klerk was the big exponent of the box kick and apparently was the best in the world at it. But for a lot of us, Dave, it's like as soon as you kick the ball, you turn 100% possession into 50-50. Is it as simple as that? Um, in some ways it is, I think, mate, because um, it comes down to the accuracy of the kick. Like, you know, we see at super level and, and higher, you, you see a higher quality of kicks. But when you, you go down and look at club land, then the quality of the kick is, is, and the quality of the chase is not necessarily as good. So I think it's horses for courses with the kick. It's, it's just a way of softening the de- defence because, you know, it's a defensive game these days. Yeah, and I remember, I think it was Robbie Dean's days, even with um, down there in Christchurch and... He said we'd prefer to win games without the ball, and they'd kick it down into into deep, and then trust their defence to apl- and a- apply some pressure. I feel like some of that might be sneaking back now. Yeah, yeah, I'd say we 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 would have adopted similar tactics in some of the other teams I've been involved in too, mate. So, um, you know, I've I've been in situations like that before where we've used the kick back to our defence, especially if it's a team like I'd be doing something like that against the Crusaders, for example, because as soon as they're in your 22, you're in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. Um, Chiefs-Reds game in the weekend. 122 total kicks, 92 of them in general play. And generally, and I haven't done the stats this year, generally the ball's in play for about 21 of the 80 80 minutes, which is alarming in itself. So even if it was 25 minutes in play, that's four kicks a minute. That is a lot of kicking. Yeah. You know, it does frustrate me a little bit, uh, a lot of the kicking we see these days. And and some of it, I think, is is a little bit of fear. Um, Maybe the fear of ball in hand, and it just becomes a territory-type scenario, hoping for a mistake or, you know, hoping to put somebody in the corner and and keep them there. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, it's the quality of the kick is the important thing. Kicking is a great strategy, and it was introduced many years ago when Nick Byrne was involved with the All Blacks and Smithy, you know, where, where the kicking game basically reared its head again, and, but it was tactical and it was well used. I think possibly we overused it a little bit these days. 
Because yeah, a number of the kicks, and, and I was watching the Blues game, and they have a real propensity to kick as well. But more often than not, they they kick it and give it a lot of air. And I understand you give it air to give your chasers a chance. But the opposition are just catching it on the full, hardly having to move. Whereas I feel like the Australians kick to space, kick to grass a lot better. And I just don't get when when you get a player as skillful for a long time, Bowden Barrett, and it's almost like his first instinct now is to kick, and and it's concerning yeah. me. Yeah, well, ironically, when I was with the Blues, we didn't kick enough. Um, so, so there you go. I think it's a, a complete flip-over. But, yeah, you're right. We had a saying when I was uh, in Europe with, with, with Pat Lamb, you know, we used to have the playground, which was the area that we'd want to kick to. But we always made sure that we didn't really want to – we wanted to find land, not hand. You know, it was all about – Turning somebody around, or just putting a little bit of pressure on their on their cover D guys to to, to sit, sit into situations where we wanted them to be. So yeah, ones that get caught on the full quite easily, and then just get pumped back easily. You don't know. Yeah, and I, I think it was the Chiefs game right at the start of the game. It was just like backwards and forwards, up and back, up and back, and both kickers were kicking at about 50 metres catch, kick at 50 metres catch, and I was just like, what is this? Is it is it just <laughs> kicking for an error? What is it? Yeah, well, it is kicking for an error. Yeah, or hoping that somebody's going to make a, you know, who blinks first, you know, like a gunfighter, basically. You know, the guy that blinks first and decides to carry might do it in the wrong situation where they've got no support and they can get isolated. Um, so that's a bit of that kicking. Maybe we play too much kicking tennis in our warm-ups, mate. That seems to be quite a prevalent game these days. So, you know. <laughs> One of our listeners floated an idea yesterday that let's say we've got the Blues playing the Crusaders and the Blues kick it and the Crusaders catch it. Crusaders kick it back. No more kicks allowed. If, if you've kicked and then received you have to run it. I mean, that's probably going a little bit too far, but it, I feel like it's ruining the spectacle a little bit, Dave. Um, the, the amount of kicking is um, annoying the fan. Yeah, you're probably right, mate. I think it's, you know, cause from those kicks off the Nazarias and the areas that come down to scrums and scrums take time, and, you know, the whole thing goes to... We're not seeing the innovators, mate. This is the thing that's why I mean the most about the game at the moment. And, and I'm seeing it in club rugby, and I'm even seeing it in some of the um, kids' rugby, is, is we're too scared to play. You know, the, the, the wonderful flowing back plays are, seem to be a thing of the past. You know, everybody says five man line out, so there's forwards out in the back line. So what do we do then? Oh, well, we'll kick for possession, or the forwards will truck it up and we'll kick off the back of that. So I think there's a few more things we need to fix in the game apart from just this, this kick fest that we're seeing these days. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's it, it's making it harder to watch. Like if you're, you know, a Hurricanes fan or something and they're, they're playing, I don't know, the Brumbies, I'm not talking about last week's game, and they're behind and there's 10 minutes to go and then they kick. And I'm like, why are you giving up the opportunity to score points by giving them possession? Because Super Rugby, like you talked about high quality kicking in Super Rugby, I... I think the quality's quite low pretty much across the board, save for the Australians. And while they're not represented very highly in the, in the semifinals, I feel like they've got a little bit more nous when it comes to kicking for space, kicking at the right time, kicking at the right people, turning people around. Whereas New Zealand teams just to be catch the ball, kick the ball, see what happens. Yeah, you, you, well, you could be right there, mate. You know, like... 
well, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with the Aussie rules background or a little bit of uh, spatial identification that they get from games like, like that, you know, where you, you understand not only the space wide, but the, the space in behind as well. So it could be the reason for it. Um, and possibly the uh, the general public over there because, you know, rugby union really has to fight over there to compete with the other sports and they've got to keep it up there. Um, where I think we're at that stage here now ourselves. Yeah, because like just on our station, we get more interaction on rugby league now than rugby because not universally, but rugby league, they generally kick it once per possession and there's none of this aerial ping pong and it's a very simplistic, mm. it's a simplistic game is rugby league, which makes it quite easy to watch and all of this kicking in rugby union at the moment is making it difficult to watch. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a diehard rugby man and I find myself uh, watching some of the just league highlights lately on, on the TV and, yeah, there's some great running lines and people think it seems to be far more exciting, which I think back in the day, you know, rugby took some great leaps forward to make the, our game more exciting. But now, if you're right, I think it is probably the kicking and the scrummaging and the I'm watching schoolboy rugby just recently, and and um, the first three games, uh, first first three tries in the game were more tries. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, it's kind of takes a bit of a gloss off it from the spectator side of you, I think. The the other thing is like one of my bugbear titles or phrases is we've got to grow the game. I think we need to improve the game, make it more palatable, make it more. You know, can't wait to watch this game. Whereas I find myself with rugby, and I'm like you, I'm dyed in the wall rugby as well. But you turn the game on, and after 15 minutes, you've seen the ball and play about three, and it's been kicking and scrums and lineouts. Um, it seems to have lost its flow, Dave. Yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. Um, to be fair, I watch very little, watch far less than I ever used to. Much to my wife's joy, she's quite happy about that. But, um, <laughs> You know, but even when you get, you know, guys like um, Smithy saying that he tends to tune over and watch animal shows, you know, I'm, I'm kind of along the same walk there myself. You know, the excitement's gone from the game and, you know, we've, we've been the great innovators of the game in the past and I think maybe the innovators aren't around anymore. Or maybe the innovators are in the Northern Hemisphere wearing blue and green jerseys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could very well be right there, Matt. You could very well be right there. You know, because there is a lot of innovations in the game over there. You know, and I think, I think we're, the only way we can still compete with that is just we still have, um, you know, thankfully, an underlying raw talent that just seems to rise to the top when we need it here. You know. Yeah, and being World Cup year, let's hope let's hope we see it uh, towards the end of the year when we go over and, and take on. Uh, the World Cup once again. Hey, Dave, uh, lovely to catch up with you again. Um, let's hope the kicking uh, gets a little bit more directed and a little bit less voluminous, eh? Yeah, that would be nice, mate. That would be real nice. Uh, Dave Ellis there, um, skills coach. Interested in your thoughts on the back of that? I didn't expect them to agree with me so much, to tell you the truth, but um, a man that's been involved in the, at the skills level sort of echoes a lot of people's sentiments about the amount of kicking. Um, aerial ping pong, some people call it. But keen to get your thoughts. 0800 Jump on the line. Love to hear from you. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ.
To the phone lines we go, 0800 150 811. Love to hear your thoughts, Dean and Dunedin. G'day, Dino. Yes, Steph, glorious day down here. Oh. Hardly a cloud in the sky. Mate, it's even beautiful in Dunedin when it's cold and wet. Oh, it doesn't matter, mate. We've got a roof. We don't really care. That's it. We're not going to get wet. We're running rugby. But I listen to that kicking thing, and I don't know, mate. I don't like really comparing league and union. Like, the tackle count is what makes league a great game to watch. Mm-hmm. Imagine if there wasn't one, and one team won 100 nil every week because they had the better team. They've made their way through that... Um, salary cap thing unbelievably and they'll just hammer everyone so I don't know, it's a, it's a difficult one because they kick a lot for the corner on the fifth tackle or put a bomb up but you're guaranteed to get the ball back if you hold on to it so mm-hmm. it makes it great to go up and down the field, it's like watching tennis, your head goes from one side to the other but for me Union I think there's a couple of things they could probably do like, now that the skill set of all of the players is through the roof from when I played in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. Why don't they go back to having the, the backs 10 metres apart from the break, from the scrum and ruck and all that sort of stuff? Give you some space. Yep. And all of a sudden, you see a lot better spectacle attack-wise. And the players all involved are 100% fitter, like I said earlier, and the skill set's twice what it used to be. So the game would improve, would turn on its head instantly with that simple change in the rules. I like it. I like the innovation. And interestingly, Rugby League didn't used to have six tackles back way, way, way back in the day. And they brought in the six tackles. And they brought in the um, defensive line have to be right back. I mean, everyone, the rush defence, while it's really effective, it's spoiled a spectacle to a degree. If you put them back another five metres, that rush defence becomes far less effective and we see better attacking play. Well, it's not effective at all. Like you're going to imagine the sp- imagine. Imagine if someone with the class of Mowanga, McKenzie and Barrett, just to name our ones, like the rest of the world got sensational teams as well. But just for that little bit of more time and space, it would be so much better to watch and such an easy thing to implement. But the other thing that's a real quandary for me, and it sort of defeats the whole purpose, I believe, in playing Super Rugby whatsoever, other than just players beating their living daylights out of one another. They did it last year. They named the all-black team and put 14 Aucklanders in it and then Razor Robertson showed Farrell how easy it was to break them down through the midfield. Why are you naming an all-black team when there's a final to play? Surely that should be an all-black trial. And the thing that would really annoy me as a player, A, you're over the moon so you can relax. And they'll say they don't, but they do because they're humans. And the other guy's pissed off because he mm. hasn't made it. So you've spoilt the final spectacle just through human emotion. Why not wait a week? What's a week to foster? It's nothing. He's not going Absolutely. to get the players. He'll get the players that aren't involved in the final maybe a few days earlier. But, yeah, oh, yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, maybe it was a world rugby requirement. I don't know. But it, it doesn't seem right, does it? They did it last year. He doesn't need them a week early. Give them a week off. They will need a rest, for Christ's sake. So he gives the ones that are having a rest. See, that dumbs down that idea of them needing a rest. So he takes them for a training camp. The players are sick to death of training. They're battery hands now, Steph. Mm. They look forward to going and playing golf. Why is that? Because they're away from the damn game. I reckon even with the rest in the players, they should make it mandatory that the Friday night team stands down their All Blacks until Thursday, and they don't come anywhere near the place. But the guys we're talking about, they still play Saturday. They don't need to be in that. They've got to be here for the captain's run, so they've got everything in their head again. But get them away for the five days before Thursday, and then bring them in. So they play every Saturday. They're professional athletes. Mm. The whole thing is almost getting farcical. 
Yep, it is. It is. Dean, uh, great call. Always enjoy your calls, buddy. Thank you for calling. We've got lots to get to. Uh, you have an awesome day in an awesome town. You too, mate. Take care. There is Dean out of Dunedin. Mikey in Christchurch. Mikey? Staffy, you're a bloody legend. You're asking the questions of the people that we want to hear from. Mm. Good on you. Fantastic. Um, you could hear it in his voice. He is almost as nonplussed as the rest of us by the sound of it. Yeah, I expected and a bit of pushback from him, and I didn't get it. But um, <laughs> no. yeah. he sounded kind of almost sort of down. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So this is what it is. Because those prizes, I mean, so the Rians Academy, I'm assuming, gets younger people are probably going through their processes of you know rugby and stuff, and then they come into the teams, and the teams are like, nah, just kick it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe all the things he's teaching is coming from naught. I mean, I said this the other day, um, you know, I got really pissed off with, and it's not, this is not picking on Bowden because everyone does it, but, you know, Bowden's within his half, does his mindless kick, um, Waratah catches and scores, you know. Uh, Richie Moanga did it against the, um, at a crucial part of the game, I think the 60 or 70 minutes against the Chiefs. McKenzie gets it, bounces down, passes it, scores. Mm. You know, I'm not against kicking per se, it's mindless kicking. Yeah, same um, here. You know, I, I'm still I'm still bitter about um, John Mitchell's side, and they didn't pick Andrew Mertens because in that quarter when we got knocked out um, through the intercept try, if you had Mertens on the bench, and you know he was very good at those wiper kicks, I've, I've said this to him, blowing my face, but um, bring him on for the last twenty, kick it down, get us out of our half, get us down there, and then we got fifty fifty, or at least can compete in the line out, you know. And, and now we have the advantage of these 50-20s and no one, or 50-22s, and no one that I can see, certainly on this side of the Tasman, seems to be utilising it. I'm with you. We used to kick to get out of trouble, and now we kick and we get into trouble. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's literally against the whole point of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of what the other callers think. It's a, it's a, it's a good topic to think about, um, and it'll be very interesting to see how the... Because um, I think Brumby's going to bring a very big kicking game against the Chiefs if they have any chance of winning, but it'll be a, a, an intelligent kicking, yes. I suspect, anyway. Yes, I do too. I do yeah. too. Good stuff, right. Mikey. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Let's go back to Dunedin and talk to Cliff. G'day, Cliff. Steffi, how are you doing? Good, thanks, yeah, Cliff. It was an interesting, interesting discussion. The guy certainly was agreeing with you. Um, this, this this idea of uh, put, putting box kicks up in, in your own half, uh, hoping that somebody is going to drop the ball, uh, you can't really pressure the guy enough. And, and if you give them any sort of room, they'll just run it back at you. But if, it seems to me that early in the piece of the game is it tends to be one up, one down, you know, both sides are doing it early, hoping that the other team make mistakes. I mean, good Canterbury teams and the Crusaders over the years, they didn't play with the ball and they would punish you when you made a mistake. But, uh, yeah, just this aimless, the 50-20 was brought in, I suppose, as a way of attacking if you if you could get the ball in just inside your own half and bang it into the, the 22, you you could get, get a line out, an attacking line out. But Back in the back in the nineties, you know, teams wanted the ball and would move it round the field. Well, you know, you don't have to give the side the opposition the ball, you know. And if you're going to kick it to them, and if your chase isn't that good, you could you could get you know they'll penalise penal you know they'll come back at you stronger than you know. But yeah, that 
way the way the uh, game's going, I can see why no one's watching it. It's it's too slow. You know, setting up a line out seems to take a couple of minutes, and the scrums are similar, even not longer. And if they're just going to keep kicking the ball all the time, it just makes a boring game. So. Yeah, yeah they've got to use the ball. I love rugby as much as you, Cliff, but I'm just finding you can be watching a game for the opening 15 minutes and nothing's happened. You, you just Nothing's really happened because it's all this jockeying. Well, they're all, I think they're waiting for the other team to get tired <laughs> so that you can open them up. You know, And if, if they don't tire and they keep a solid line, it, it doesn't do that. You know, you're just going to just gonna keep kicking the ball back to each other mm. you know some teams can can wear you down early and you might not have great replacements to come on and they'll they'll beat you up in the second half and you know put 40 or 50 points but if if it doesn't go like that and then who you don't really want to watch a game that ends up 48 to to 12 or to 10 something like that you want a good tough game the whole way through where teams are going at it with the ball in hand yep. more than, than kicking it. And that's where it is. Yep, it is. Cliff, appreciate your call as always, my friend. Yeah. Enjoy enjoy your weekend. Oh, enjoy your night, your day, your afternoon. Yeah. Oh, whole shebang. Uh, we'll take a quick break for news. We'll get to Zayden Darren after the news. Give us a yell. 0800 150 811. Let's go. Well, listen, buster. You better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat. Of madness. Yeah. Midday madness. You talk, we listen. We go to Zaid, the life member. G'day, Zaid. Uh, good afternoon, yeah. I- I'm a big fan of um, how we game. It's um, one in the pickle. Are his kids? Oh, Zade, you're in that place where your phone goes all croaky. So if you can hear me, you go to that place where your your phone doesn't go croaky like like a frog that's been at a nightclub for three nights in a row and give us a call back and you'll be straight back on. In the meantime, we'll go to Darren and, Elsie, uh, and Ozzy. G'day, Darren. Hey, Stuffy. How are you? Yeah. Good, good, good. Did you um, take a double dose of common sense tablets this morning, did you? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got to agree with you massively. Like, you know, I watched the Chiefs game, and seriously, it was boring. Mm. Um, just, and they're not even the guys aren't even, you know, running up trying to trying to shave off five ten meters and then kicking. They're just standing there. There's no one within cooey of them. I just, I don't get it. I thought these guys were. Professionals, they're not debutantes. That we're not watching, you know, club rugby or college or high school rugby or something like. I don't know. And these are the I best just, players I, I that just, are doing it. Yeah. Like you quite often see, Damian McKenzie will take the kick, and he's got no one within fifteen, twenty meters of him, and you can see him scanning, and then he kicks it. And I'm always filled with hope. Oh, he's found some space, and it goes straight to the wing. And I'm like, you had yeah. time to line up, you've kicked it straight to him. And it's not just Emac; it's it, it seems to be all of them. Oh Barrett, yeah. I mean, you'll see the the fullback has, doesn't even need to take a step. Yeah, like he's gone, mate. I'm just I'm just going to kick it to you. He wants to point to him. <laughs> so I I don't understand. I mean, it's like we say, if you do that to the Crusaders, good luck, because you're going to get done. Yeah. It's um yeah. I mean, and I don't know. 
we had a public holiday in Melbourne and all I did was go, go around gardening and yelling at my plants because I was still <laughs> absolutely livid about the Hurricanes game. <laughs> so, yelling at your plants, that's magnificent. Well, I was yelling at the weeds and sort of having a go at my, my fijoas that weren't really growing too well. So, yeah, I was just, oh, words couldn't describe it. I was like, I was just dumbfounded <laughs> from that one. I know you, you probably, I did listen to you um video discussions on Monday because I was curious to see what you thought but yeah I mean I hope that the games this weekend are a lot better but the kicking it if we do that in the World Cup Ireland, France there'll be a few other teams they'll just they'll just say thanks very much yeah thanks for the why, ball why give away pers- and the other thing that gets me Staffy you're down by 10 there's 8 minutes to go why the hell would you kick it I know you need points and to get points you need the ball don't give it to them all the time that's what I just, I don't understand. I, 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 like, surely the coaches up there must, I'd love them to pan to the coach and just see the coach headbutting the wall. Yeah. You know, just like, I'd love it because I'd go, great, it's the players, there's a miscommunicate, we can work on that. But there's just nothing. And the coaches, I mean, you know, classic press conference, they don't tell you a lot because they're going to get fined or ridiculed or something like that. But I'd just love it if a coach came out and said, I don't know what they were thinking. We got that horribly wrong. We're going to work on it. Mm. Hallelujah. I'd love to hear that. But I don't know. There's only so many times you can shake your head and yell at the TV. And, you know, my wife comes out, how's the rugby? And walking into the shed, she hears all this abuse. I'm sure there's times where she just turns around and goes back into the house. (laughs) Yeah, you probably only see her 20% of the time she intends to come and visit you in the shed. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally agree. (laughs) She might get me on, yes, you scored. All right, I'll go in. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it is frustrating. And when you told me those numbers, about 20-odd minutes in an 80-minute game, I mean, that's just, that's not what we're paying to see. No, it's not. You and know, we that, want to see rugby. That's what we're getting. You know, we're, we're getting exactly what I said we're getting. Um, it's, it's, it's not good enough. And especially at times are tough at the moment. We want to get value for money more than ever. Um, and we're not seeing it. I mean, mm. if the World Cup ends up like this, it could be dire. It could be, you know, we want to, like anything, you want to see tries, you want to see tension, you want to see running rugby. I can't remember who it was. I think it was last week, one of the games I watched. And it was like Jerry Collins was in this guy from the Chiefs. He was just running into just getting the ball and taking off with it. And I was like, oh, how good is this? Sam Penny Finia. But the, that's it. Mm. That was just brilliant to see. I went, God, it's been a while since I've seen that before. Yeah. Um, you know, why isn't there more of it? Because, okay, you're going in, two guys are exerting a ton of energy to try and stop you, and then generally you'll get hopefully quick ball, and there's a, there's a man overlap straight away, and oh, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, this. Oh, look, I feel like I'm adding to your exasperation, Darren, just by talking to you about it. The only thing that's getting me through your your topic today is I'm doing the push-up challenge and I've got 218 push-ups to do. So every time I get really annoyed, I just go smash 20 push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Good work. That's it. Good so man. Thanks for firing me up. I needed, I needed it today. Thank right. You. Get down and give me 20. All right. Done. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Darren, let's see if we've got a better phone line from Zaid. Hello? Oh, crystal clear, Zaid. Um, yeah, it's the old reception in the bush. You can get a bit out of whack sometimes. <laughs> oh, you're out hunting, are you? No, at home. Okay. Okay. Well, you found a good spot. What were you wanting to say? 
Uh, before I get into my thing, I was saying, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Howie's game. Um, it's the penguin and big, big penguin and pickles. Their names, the kids. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah. On the rugby, while well, you're talking about running, well, look at someone that does run the ball is Mark Talia. You tell someone to run, mate, he just doesn't stop running. I know. And how exciting is he? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And money. I mean, I mean. I mean, it doesn't work all the time, but some teams could learn from the Fijian Drua. Look at them. They just love running the ball. Mm. That's how you play. Mm. doesn't always work out, but they play exciting games. And yeah, Bowden Barrett is one of those players that you say doesn't stop kicking. He's got to, if the Blues want to beat the Crusaders, they can't do that all night because it's not going to work. Oh, man. We'll know within 20 minutes if they've got a good game plan to take on the Crusaders. They've got the place to beat the Crusaders. Don't worry about that. But the game plan's yeah, the Yeah, but if Foden puts up 100 kicks, it's not going to work. <laughs> unless, it's a, unless it's a good crossfield kick, that's all. But it's too many other crossfield kicks, you're not always going to work out, you know? Yeah, look, I'm not averse to kicking, but it's the aimless yeah. kicking. You know, they're just kicking to yeah, the opposition. Yeah. I, and I just, it does my head in. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know what a Chiefs... That Chiefs Reds game, were they playing the soccer or something? What were they up to? I know, I know. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, Barcelona might sign some of the players. What did you say? 90, 92 kicks? 92 kicks in general play. Oh my God, that's so many. I know, I know. Oh well, there we go. Zay, <laughs> good to hear. That's why old um, Super Rugby's going to decline when you're kicking that many times. <laughs> oh well, go the Blues, eh, Zay? Yeah, yeah, go the blues and um, yeah, um, ask. I've got a quick question for Howie. Who's his favourite guest he's had on his podcast, please? Okay, I'll ask him that. Thank you. I like I like Volkanovski, but yeah, all good. Thank you. All right, brother. See you, mate. There's Zade. One more before the break. We go to Ross in Auckland. G'day, Ross. Hey, Steffi, how are you doing? I'm um, great, thanks, Ross. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, I think the Kiwis have been a ble- blessed a bit too much with running rugby. You need to follow the rest of us South Africans and we, 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 we're used to the old kicking kicking rugby. We grew up on Mornay Stain, so it doesn't get much better. Oh, a good man. old 6-3 six, six, score line's good for us. Oh, <laughs> go back to Gerald Bosch and Nas Borta. You know, the, yeah, but here's exactly. the thing. You exactly. Springboks kicked bloody well. We don't. We, yeah, we kick it, a yeah. lot. But the South African kicking game was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what my point was leading. I mean, a, a stat that everybody you know, hates and nobody will be- believes is that obviously the team that kick- kicks more usually wins games, you know, that's, and I, I also, uh, you know, watching it, I was also wondering how much of it is actually down to the fact of that, I mean, New Zealand rugby picks up on the fact that, yeah, you know, that they've been caught, caught in now in recent times that, you know, they're trying to play this form of rugby, but it, it can't translate to, to international rugby because you have less space. You know, it's more of a, a defensive battle. And I, I just want, you know, having watched it, having watched this, the Super Rugby this year, I'm wondering how much of that is a directive to say, you know, we need, we need a stronger kicking game. We need a better kicking game because obviously we're not going to waltz into a World Cup, you know, which they've found that, you know, you've got to kick more. You've got to give possession away more because the running rugby is not going to beat, beat you know, your defenses of Ireland, of France and so forth. And whether it's a more more of a directive say, well, we need, we need to be better with our kicking, you know. Obviously, a lot of, there's quite a bit of it that is aimless, but I wonder how much of it relates to the fact that they realise going into World Cup, you know, Damien McKenzie, who might be key, needs to kick a bit more. Moanga needs to kick a bit more. You know, Barrett 
I wonder if a lot of it is directed at the fact that they know going into a World Cup that, you know, the team that kicks more generally wins games, you know. I wonder yeah. how much of that is a factor. Uh, I take your point, but I think the key thing here is kick better. And if it, uh, kick more, if the, if the kicks are good, I've got no problem with kicking more. Yeah. And you yeah. and I can kick a rugby ball. You and I can do that, <laughs> you know, and we're not going to be at the World yeah. Cup, but kick better, kick strategically. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it's also a part of it is, is it's second nature to the, well, you know, they're not, they're not known to do it. So I think, you know, part of it is like, oh, I've got the ball. They naturally would be thinking, space, let me run. But that's why I just think sometimes, like, especially someone like Damien McKenzie, like, I mean, sometimes I, it feels like he's not playing to his strength. Mm. And that's why I'm saying, well, naturally his instinct would be to run. But I wonder if it, if, he, if he's got to work on it, you know, if it's one of the points he's got to work on to be in the All Blacks, is his kicking game. And obviously, yeah, it's, it's kicked better, but surely you should, if there's space, go for it. You know, you, you should be back to play your natural game. That's my only concern with the All Blacks heading into a World Cup is that some of these players will be asked to play roles that is not what they normally would, and that would be challenging. Like, they talk about Talia. I mean, yeah, Talia's a classic example. He gets the ball, he runs straight. He, he makes the space, you know. Even in tight spaces, he finds a space, which is sometimes I think you over you overthink a problem that's you know not there. You just need to fine tune it and tweak it for the World Cup. But I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take all these kickings if they want to bring it to the World Cup and going to bring it to um, Mount Smart in a few weeks' time. I'll take that here yeah, gladly. Bring it on. <laughs> you're kick, a... kick to Chesden Colby, please, all day. <laughs> you're a great rugby man, Ross. Really enjoyed this call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> No worries. You have a good day. Take care. There's Ross out of Auckland. Speaks a lot of sense. We'll come back in a minute. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Right, we've got the president of the Grubs fan club on, also known as the Chiefs, Brett from Huntley. Kia ora, Brett. Kia ora, my bro. Um, ego plays a part in what happens in, in our game on Saturday, which obviously is the main um, chat, um, because our first instinct is to try and counter-attack. But I think in that game, we got beaten to the punch tactically that they knew that's what we wanted to, to do. So their game plan was to just was to keep kicking, keep all their players up off the ground, and chase really hard and rely on our ego to try and counter-attack, to try and force turnovers in our area. Because if we go to a test match and we we try to counter-attack and whoever's bringing that ball back from deep, if they don't get enough players uh, behind them, that's just going to be a, a turnover penalty five metres outside your 22. And if you do three of those, all of a sudden you're going to be behind by nine points. Yeah, it's there's a re- couple of really good mindset challenges, I think, in the two semi-finals. I think the Brumbies will try that. I think the the Reds tactically was to what was their best way to not get belted. Yeah, <laughs> because every other Aussie team that had played against the Chiefs, bar the Reds, had been belted, even the Brumbies in Canberra. Yeah, it nearly worked. For, I mean, they, they played bloody well, the Reds. And down on Cattle, I thought they played really, really well um, in a tough season for them. They yeah. picked James O'Connor, who, who plays a lot at 10. They picked him at 12. 
So they had another kicking option with uh, Michael Lyon's young fellow. I'm not sure of his first name. Um, Tate Gordon, another really good kicker. But, you know, O'Connor's a really good attacker. They had the, the winger Dungunu playing centre. Mm. Filiasi Gunivalu, like, I don't know why they didn't really have a crack at us. Mm. Fraser McWright, uh, who's their number eight there, he had a storming game. Harry Wilson, awesome. yeah, he's brilliant. He is yeah. brilliant. But Brett, we're about to crash into an ad break, so I don't want to be rude, and I want to politely say thanks for the call. <laughs> okay, mate. Cheers, mate. Brett from Huntley. We'll come back. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Had some good text messages uh, and one from Junior. Gone are the days where counter-attacking was was what drew people to rugby. The days Cullen and co. would choose to run first before considering kicking. Maybe consider rewarding tries from deep within your 22 an extra three points. Two points on your own side of halfway and one point from beyond the 22 to promote running rugby. Rugby is too defence orientated these days. The risk of playing attacking rugby should be rewarded. The bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. That way, scoring from a line-out drive is limited as well. Thank you, Junior. Lots of good text messages, which I will intend to get to before we wrap it all up. Um, There's more kicking than running, because now everyone can turn the ball over in the tackle, not just the flankers. That's true, the threat of turnovers. Mark Howard of Howie Games fame talks ashes after the news. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. got the music in you, I tell you what, when I mentioned at the top of the show at midday we were getting Mark Howard on to talk about the Ashes, I've just been inundated with texts about the Howie Games. So, the host of the magnificent podcast, the reason I started listening to podcasts, I don't know, it was very early on in the Howie Games, he joins us now, uh, and I've been told to say, g'day guru. Hey Staffy, I appreciate your kind words, and I'm glad the podcast is travelled over the ditch and I reckon I'm more excited than any of the listeners for the Ashes. I got through the World Test Championship and um, wow, how can a test match like that seem like an entree? But yeah, I'm pumped about it, mate, and I'm, I'm really uh, really excited to have a chat with you and hear what's going on in New Zealand and how you think we're going to go against England. I want to get to the cricket, but the listeners demand I talked about the Howie Games. Darren Sammy yep. was the very first sports car, uh, podcast I'd ever listened to, and I've since right. listened to probably 90% of all of yours. Was He, he was early, early days, wasn't he? Yeah, that was when I was commentating on the Caribbean Premier League, probably sort of back 2016. So that was when I was just sort of getting my head around and I sat down with Darren in St. Kitts. I can still picture the hotel, maybe over a whiskey or a rum <laughs> overlooking uh, the Caribbean Sea. I wish every podcast had kicked on like that, Staffy. It'd be a nice way to do it. Yeah. And just for the listeners, this is the quality of people he's spoken to. Andrew Johns, Craig Bellamy, Ray Warren, Rob Whitaker, Anthony Mundine, my Darren Sammy one, which is still one of my favourites. But my real favourites one, Howie, uh, I'm going to put it in a subgroup, 
are the surfers because you love your surfing. Um, I Ke- do. Kelly Slater, Mick Fanning, uh, Sally Fitzgibbon. And the one we've got in common, I've interviewed yep. Lane Beachley. You've interviewed Lane oh. Beachley. It was like interviewing the queen of sport for me. Yeah, yeah, I love it, obviously. I, you know, I live, I live in a little place called Barwon Heads, which is um, on a surf beach down here in Victoria, about 15 minutes from Bells. It took me sort of, so I love to surf, so it took me four years to get Kelly on the show. Um, I was extremely pumped, but I tell you, talking about pumped in the ashes, I've got two in the can um, that people need to keep an ear out for in the ashes. I, I sat down with the arch enemy last night, a, a man that I absolutely love. So I spent two hours with Stewie Broad last night before he went to oh. training in the week of the ashes, um, and I, I love him. I love everything he's about not just his talent and his skill, but him as a person. So I hope people listen to that, especially in my country, and understand that the bloke that a lot of Aussies don't really enjoy, even though they love him to be on our test side, is a superstar. So, And Scotty Boland as well coming up. Uh, so there's some good episodes. It's, it's good. It's good that the cricket's on and we can talk cricket. Scotty Boland. Now, that was one I wanted to talk to you about. I think he's got a test career of eight tests, and he's 34. Um, you guys breed cricketers like we breed rugby players. Yeah. it's Well, he, he's a Victorian fella um, that has been doing his thing in Shield for 10 years. And Kerry O'Keefe said to us on Fox Cricket about 14, 16 months ago, probably four months, six months before the previous Ashes, keep an eye on Scotty Boland. And we're like, Scotty Boland? Um, <laughs> and Skull picked him at... Still sitting at the MCG watching him take six for seven. I was lucky enough to be, I was very fortunate to be in the box the night that he started. So his first two wickets and then the next morning for four wickets. So I was in there for all six wickets next to Michael Vaughan and Mike Hussey. And when he took that sixth wicket, we were obviously going off our chops. Well, Vaughan he wasn't, but <laughs> Mike and I were going off our chops. And Huss turned to me and, and he said it in comms, if you go back, he said, Howie? What is happening here? And it was a perfect summation from Huss that none of us really understood what we were seeing when Scotty destroyed England. And, you know, he did the job in the World Test Championship. And that's obviously the big question about about who the Australians pick in their bowling lineup because the rest is settled. But I don't know. It's keeping me awake at night. What do you reckon? I reckon it's keeping Josh Hazelwood awake at night too. Um, has, yeah. has it come down to those two blokes? Well, I think it, I think it does. Like England have got a England have got a similar scenario with um, with Mark Wood or or even Stewie Broad, um, who they go with. So, you know, you know what you get from Cummins, you know what you get from Boland. Um, I think you need the X factor with Stark. Like he he might have got a bit of tap, but he got Coley in the first innings with a ball that no one else in the Australian lineup can bowl. So, I guess it comes down to Boland and and Hazelwood. I'm glad I'm not making that decision. Um, but I, I get who are you going for, Boland or Hazelwood? I think they'll plump Hazelwood just just for the experience. Yeah, but and but if he's not a hundy, if he's not ninety percent, I think they'll go Boland. Oh, I, actually, no. I sorry, I I think they'll go Boland. Um, but mm. who knows? I wouldn't want to be in this election panel. Um, he just seems he just seems right for English conditions, Scotty Boland. He just bowls on that line and length and just nibbles it. Alan Border compared him in the paper last week to Terry Alderman and what he'd seen him do. But I saw the great Michael Vaughan said today, I don't know if you saw it, that he thinks England, with their, with their attacking style, will play Boland like a spinner and take two, uh, two steps down the pitch and try and belt him. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. 
Um, St- Steve Smith came out and said, "Baseball won't beat us Australians." Uh, that was a nice little Luc- little Lucifer fire starter on the kindling. If the Ashes needed any more, though. Well, that, that's what Australia hopes. That's <laughs> what Australia hopes because you know that before he took over, I was talking about this with Stuart last night. Stuart Broad. They were one from seventeen, and he took over, and I think they're ten from twelve. And I, I asked him. What has it done? And I won't be able to enunciate it as clearly as Brody, um, and yet won't come out for a few weeks. But basically, he told me a couple of stories about preferring to see batsmen get out caught on the fence than get out caught defending. And we are here to have fun, and we are here to entertain people. I won't go into it, but some of the stories he told me that Baz, your man, was talking about as far as entertainment and what. Baz had done during test matches because he felt the crowd needed more entertaining was extraordinary. They're having fun doing it and, and it's alright for us Aussies to say oh, it won't work against us but that's because I think everyone in Australia realises if it does work against us we'll get smoked. So it's, it's the great untested but by gee, just the fact the way they're playing that way means it is must watch, isn't it? Like who, If England win the toss and bat, we're used to thinking oh, you know, one for sixty at lunch. They, they could be, they could be none for one hundred and thirty. It's it's, <laughs> it's mind blowing what could happen. That, that's what producer Sammy said. One of two things is going to happen: one hundred and thirty without loss first session, sixty for five. <laughs> Anything can happen. Yeah, it's got that. It's got that feel about it that that, that anything could happen, and that's why we turn in for sport to be entertained. So, um, yeah, I'd. You know, Travis Head, he's, that's the way he bats, yeah. and he won as the World Test Championship. So, you know, you look across world sport and what Ange Postacoglu has done with Celtic, and they play attacking football. It's working. You look at the NBA, it's attacking basketball. It's working. So attack seems to be the effective mode in world sport at the moment across all sports. So why not test cricket? What about the endurance aspect of a five-test Ashes series? And I'm talking about fatigue of mental, mental fatigue and physical fatigue. Because some of the key players in this Ashes series are very well on the other side of 30. I don't know that the the leading bowlers from England can play all five tests. Uh, Pat Cummins has said he wants to play all five. I don't know about the others. There will be breakdowns. There will be injuries. Squad depth, I feel like, leans in Australia's favour. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. And obviously... Jimmy Anderson, you know, is a superstar, but he, he's coming off a calf. Ollie Robinson had a, an issue with his ankle, but apparently he's all good to go now. Stewie last night said he's never felt so good in his life. Obviously, the big one is Jack Leach um, because he'd become a more attacking bowler under Stokes. So Mo and Ali comes back into a format that he hasn't played for the last couple of years. Oh, I think you're right. I think it's so it looks so even that if you lose a key player... It, as England have with Jack Leach, it has a massive effect. So um, if you've got the squad bowling mentality, they've got Wood, they've got Broad, they've got Anderson, they've got Tongue that took five wickets against Ireland. So, so they're looking pretty good as well. But if you get a Glenn McGrath-style scenario tripping on a ball and doing your ankle the morning of the test, it, it could have massive ramifications for the whole series, as you say, Stan. Um, as a New Zealander sports fan, I do love the Ashes. Um, I'm just wondering, like the Cricket Mad Nation of Australia, where does the Ashes sit? Now there's the World Test Championship, um, there's World Cups and all that sort of thing. Is 
is the Ashes still the jewel in the Australian cricket crown? I think it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, I've no doubt it is. I've been privileged enough to see India beat Australia the last two times here, um, and and that was just next level cricket. But I, I think it's the one we look forward to. And in some ways, the at the home Ashes is fantastic, but it's the, it's the it's the England Ashes that you sit down and there's these amazing grounds that you've grown up reading about the Low Oval or or Edgbaston or Headingley or Lords and the pomp and ceremony that comes with it and all of a sudden the ball's moving around still on the second day and it's, it's you know, it's Alan Border winning 4-0 or it's, it's Michael Vaughan beating Australia. It's just got those such historic stories. Stewie Broad not walking to Agar, Alderman getting all the wickets, Steve Waugh in 89, you know, punching it through the covers and, and blossing him as a test batsman. I think, I think that's where Australian cricketers are forever remembered as their performances in the Ashes. So I think as, as, as a nation, that's what we really enjoy. But I, I think I probably enjoy the England Ashes more than the Australian Ashes. Um, there's something about, you know, can you punch through the, the lunch break as a supporter, <laughs> mate, to, to, to get through to the next session and, and all that type of thing. And, and yeah, it's, um, yeah, but you, you can obviously hear the enthusiasm in my voice oh. about how excited I am about it. Mate, you're reeling off those grounds, and I'm just thinking striped blazers, pims, asparagus rolls, polite applause. Um, you cannot, not enough money can buy you tradition, and it's irreplaceable, and it is the home of cricket. Lords is the number one. It's, it's the Indianapolis 500 of cricket. You can't replace that, and I agree. Like, I love watching cricket being played in Australia because of the time zones, but... Man, beating England in England, and we don't have an Ashes for the Black Caps. You got the Ashes. It's it's remarkable. Smithy asked me to ask you how yeah. you how you survived the IPL. <laughs> well, I tell Smithy that I loved everything about the IPL. I was entranced by the country, the people. Um, I ate. Tell Smithy I ate more naan bread than even he could have got through, which is not an easy thing to do for a man of my size compared to. Um, the the great man that is Smithy. I, I love the IPL. I think it's going to change cricket, though, staff. I think I, I I left Australia thinking all this talk about Test cricket being over overrun or dominated by franchise cricket is probably not right. But I came away not in a negative way, just being so impressed and so just seeing how the players are treated and not just what they're paid, but how they're treated and respected. I think it's um. It's, I don't look at it as a threat to the game, but, but as an addition, it's going to put pressure. I noticed Rohit Sharma saying, wouldn't it be great if we had three tests for the World Test Championship? But, but where are you going to carve out a schedule mm. to whack two more tests in there? So, yeah, no, I loved, I loved the IPL. Um, but it, but does, does New Zealand now go for England, since they are captained and coached by a couple of Kiwis? It's extraordinary. Yeah, look, I think some people's colours have changed. It's like, oh, it's like here's the rules of being a New Zealander, and it's stamped in your passport. Is in rugby you cheer for the All Blacks and anyone playing England, and in yeah. cricket you cheer for the Black Caps and anyone playing Australia. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> I might not have come on your show if I'd known the full sophistication hey, of look, it. I'm riddled with honesty, Howie. I, I, I can't help myself. <laughs> but, but how good is it that, that a bloke like Brennan McCullum, and I said this to Stewie last night, you know, I'm staying up to watch England Ireland after the lunch break yeah. in a neutral test match because I, I want to see Harry Brooks strike at 100. 
or I, I want to see Ben Duckett make 200 off 190 balls. So I think we owe a massive credit. To, we do. So let's be honest, Brendan, the way he has transformed Test cricket, and it'd be great to see every nation play like this because that, that's what you want to see. You, you want to see the ball flying around and the bowlers getting an opportunity. Um, so well done to, to Baz. Like, what a great man. And the service he gave to cricket on field, I think he's being doubled, tripled, quadrupled by what he's doing. Because there's no doubt, mate, if England succeed like this, then everyone has to start playing that way because that's the natural way of sport, isn't it? If someone comes up with a new approach and it works, then everyone wants to copy. Absolutely. Yeah, he's left big footprints, whatever he carries on to do. I've got some questions coming from the listeners. You're a popular guest, Howie. Um, must, be, must be mum. She's on holidays in New Zealand, is she? <laughs> um, we've got a life member of a show, Zade. He said, can you ask him how Pickle and the Big Penguin are? <laughs> yeah, no, the Pickle and the Big Penguin are well. Thank you. They are, they are the stars of the podcast. For those that don't listen, I have an 11 and a 13-year-old who I always ask a question of the guest. And the son asked Stewie Broad last night, he basically said, Stewie, I'd love to see you get lots of wickets but lose the ashes. So that was the best one to get across. So please let that listener know that, that they're well, that they're well. Thank you. Excellent. Um, Steffi, can you please ask Howie who uh, his favourite, he said couple. Well, I'll give you your favourite three Howie Games interviews. Oh, gee, that's like choosing between the, my son and my daughter. Yeah. Um, it's probably my son at the moment. But it was my daughter last week, but they won't hear this. Um, okay. Um, Luke Longley about playing with the Chicago Bulls. Loved that one. Jordan. Um, oh, uh, there's a gentleman very early on called Jack Jones, which is not um, a reflection of the podcast. Jack played VFL football for Essendon and won premierships, but his talk and discussions about courage and mateship serving in Papua New Guinea in World War II and, and what mateship really is um, absolutely blew me away. And then of more recent times, um, well, Kelly Slater. It's hard to go past Kelly. Um, <laughs> whether Kelly. it was a good interview or not, it was just me <laughs> chatting with Kelly for two hours, which kept me happy. So there, there's three to start with. But there's, you mentioned Robert Whitaker. I know nothing about UFC. His descriptions of what's involved in that sport really blew me away. Really blew me away. Uh, long one's been sent in by Huey, so I'll read it. Um, yep. Howie, you spend a lot of time alongside the Aussie cricketers, calling their games, having them on the podcast, etc. What is it about being an Aussie cricketer that gives them so much confidence? Against India, they had a hostile crowd against them and relished it, thrived in it, and they're going up against the same very hostile English crowds, and they haven't won since 2003. Will the players get a little extra something from that cauldron? It's a great question. The, the only way I could answer it is... I find dealing with the Australian cricket team, they are a great bunch of individual people. Not cricketers, but people. Like Mitchell Stark will come up and give you a hug every morning of a test match. Nathan Lyon wants to chat cricket with you any time. Pat Cummins is respectfully, when you see him, he asks you how your family are, how your kids are. Um, so I think for me that they are great blokes. Usman Khawaja is the world's nicest and intelligent cricketer I've ever met. So it might seem a roundabout answer to the question, staff, but I think because they are such good people, they are wonderful people, that when they play together as a team, um, I think that comes together under Pat's leadership. It's, it's a strange answer, but I think because they are such respected, respectful people, that that comes out in the way they play their cricket. Um, and I think they're doing a wonderful job 
to represent their country in the way it should be represented. Beautiful words, beautiful words, Howie. We could talk all day, but we won't. Thank you for the Darren Semi podcast all those years ago, and I've listened to about 90% of yours, and I encourage all our listeners to get on, subscribe to the Howie Games. You will not be disappointed. Um, Howie, you're a great man, and really appreciate you taking time to preview the Ashes for us. Thanks, mate. Love coming on. It's stuck in my mind what Darren Sammy said along the lines of your current location is not your ultimate destination. So I don't want to go all mystic and cryptic on you, but I think Darren was basically saying where you are now is not necessarily where you end up in the world. And I took a lot from that. Love being on. Enjoy the ashes. Um, go Stewie Broad. Go Baz. But go the Aussies. <laughs> Up you go. Thanks, Howie. Fair, mate. Mark Howard, and yeah, I, I highly recommend the Howie Games. He's got so I, I just rattled off the ones I could remember. Um, fantastic! He spoke to an Ironman as well. Um, oh, Trevor Handy, Trevor Hindy, sorry, um, fantastic! Just so many good ones, and I knew nothing about Darren Sammy, his childhood, his upbringing, the hurdles, the politics of West Indies cricket. It was just fascinating, and he's such a good bloke. Very. Very humble. Mark Howard, talking ashes. We'll come back after a break. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Oh, that music can only mean one thing. We get to dream a little. With our eyes. Bailey's property of the week. Uh, this one, it's a rare find. It's offering a pristine 6,500 square metre canvas with native trees dotted throughout the surrounding farmland. The property is well prepared with good boundary fencing. Rolling contour and a large flat building site for easy construction. Additionally, there's plenty of space left for landscaping. Landscaping. Planting, family spaces. Carl Davis and Lee Carter, they're out of the Bailey's Hamilton office they're the, and the current owners of Lot 23315 State Highway 2. They've run an organic farm there since 2008 and a successful retreat since 2019. You can't look past the property's legal access to a quality water supply to the stony bottom stream and it surrounds the property. This location is as central as it gets. Lots of school options nearby, including uh, Hauraki Plains College. So you can take your kids. Farm life with schooling. Lots of fishing hotspots. And the township of Thames is less than 32 k's away. Further afield, you can reach Monaco, Hamilton and the beaches of the Coromandel. All within 85 k's. What's that? An hour? Hour 10? This sizeable and enviable location is a must-see for anyone looking to establish their dream lifestyle in a peaceful, idyllic setting. So you go to Bailey's. I'm doing it in real time. Bailey's.co.nz. Enter. And then in the property listing number, you put in 231-3013. That's wrong. Oh, there it is. Magnificent. So get in touch with Carl Davis or Lee Carter, Bailey's Hamilton, B A Y L E Y S dot co dot NZ, and the property number 231 3013. You'll be happy. Mm, 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 mm. Is that a cidery pop potential, Sammy? 
Cidery. What was the location? It's it's State Highway 2. It's 30Ks from Thames. So you've got rural, but you've got access to Coromandel, you've got access to Hamilton, you've got access to everything. So uh, you probably could grow some apples, to be fair. Yeah, you probably could. The problem in um, the northern regions of New Zealand is that it gets a little bit too hot. That humidity makes it hard to grow things like apples and grapes. Um, well, certain types of apples and grapes. Juniper berries? I think... I don't... Here's a, here's a little fact for you. Okay, fun fact. So I'm a massive gin fan, right? Love gin, gin and tonic. Um, it's sort of my drink of choice now. I've moved away from the from the yeasty variants, beer, etc., because they upset my stomach. I don't bit like soft. beer anymore. Yeah, <laughs> bit soft, aren't I? Yeah. Um, Just getting old. So I, me and uh, Katie actually went to a gin-making school. We got a present for Christmas where you go out in Coatesville and you make your own gin. Oh, um, that's is the dream. And, well, they actually give you the, like, spirit and then you just infuse it with all your stuff. But um, I asked them about juniper berries and apparently there are no homegrown juniper berries in New Zealand. There is, and I, I can't remember the exact detail, but there is someone who is at the moment trying to cultivate juniper berries in New, in New Zealand. I, I think I'm right in saying the trees take like 15 years to to produce the quality that you need mm-hmm. or something like that. So, like olives take six or seven years. Yeah. So there's actually someone in New Zealand who's trying to do it, but at the moment there are no New Zealand-based juniper berries. <sighs> so there you go. Hewitt's gin. Huey's gin. West Road Gin. West Road Gin. Yeah, because I live on West Road. Um, I've actually got a couple of working names. West Road Brewery. West Road Whiskey. Um, West Road Cider. No, it was going to be Cypress Gardens Cider because we used to live on Cypress Gardens Lane. So (laughs) (laughs) just throwing up a couple of names. Do you know what we did do as well? Just quickly, you had to name your gin at the end of the school. You got a label and you had to name it. Um, So I just went on chat GPT. And oh, I did said, you? yeah, and I said, I said, here's the theme of my gin, which was sort of foresty, manuka, you know, trees, earth, etc. Give me five creative names out of that, and uh, I think I ended up with something like, um, oh, what was it? It was something to do with manuka. Oh, you can't build us up when then. Yeah, let it was us like, well, there were, there were there were five of them. I think it was like manuka grove or manuka, yes, yeah, manuka grove or manuka meadow gin. Or something like that, which, mm. you know, it worked. It worked. There's a New Zealand company making a Manuka whiskey. Ooh. Mm. Interesting. So I guess it's they're the aging only, it. It's the only Manuka whiskey in the world. Are they aging it in Manuka barrels? I'm not sure how they're getting it, but... Um, surely, they're, they're, surely they're aging it in Manuka barrels, which is, a, which is amazing. My mate was over from overseas, and we went into the fine wine company yes. you know, just to get a bottle of wine for his dinner that night. He was meeting friends, and yep. they had it on the counter and had a little tipple, and me, oh my. I'm not a whiskey person. I, I, I'm actually very interested in how they do that because, you know, they, they there's a very specific, like oak barrels is what they often do, whiskey and wine, and because very few timbers can, can do what like oak does, and that is expand and retract over the seasons. And mm. that's, people don't actually know this, but that's how whiskey, that's why it ages for so long, like 15 years, is it needs time for all of the whiskey to, to, to soak into the wood and come back out again. That's basically what it's doing. It's soaking in and out of the wood as it expands and retracts. Mm. Um, and only very few woods do that. So I wonder if they're using Manuka barrels, if Manuka can do that mm. as a wood. I wonder.
Well, look at us mm. talking look at, look at fine us, beverages and properties. Marshy's just texted on the back of the cricket chat. I'll never get over those cheating buggers, Smith and Warner. Just want them to get out for a duck or drop a catch every time I watch them go the palms. Marshy, great man, Marshy. Let's have the news on SENZ. Pick you up on the Pumawari Highway. Paulie Mawari, welcome in. You're from the TAB. TAB.co.nz. You can download the app. You can look at the website. They're pretty much the same animal. Uh, but, uh, Paulie, <laughs> <laughs> they are. They look exactly the same. You wouldn't know you're on one or the other. And that's a good thing. 100%. Yeah, you're right, Steffi. <laughs> um, if you were to brew your own whiskey or gin, what would you get? What would you call it? What would be the name on the label? Uh, oh, Rocky Skinfella Whiskey. <laughs> Skinfella. I thought it was going to be Mo's Nose or something like that. Oh, okay, Skinfella Whiskey. So if we don't want to be skint this week, what's what's yep. cop, what's copping the punters' traffic uh, midweek? Uh, well, there's been a fair bit of action on the US Open, which of course kicks off Friday morning our time. Um, and I'm just looking, have, having a look at the outright winner market as we speak. Uh, there's no surprises. The worst result for us, Ryan Fox, currently $151 to win the US Open. Um, but um, that hasn't scared off punters. So, yes, there's a big red line uh, next to his name. Uh, so he's the worst result. Um, don't know if he can win this, but um, certainly maybe he's a realistic top 20 cha- uh, chance. And I think he's around 550 to finish in the top 20. In terms of the others, the most popular uh, player so far, uh, Scotty Scheffler, uh, has been very well backed. And he's our favourite. He's at 750. Um, second best back, Brooks Kepka, who is, uh, of course, coming off his uh, victory in the PGA Championship last month. He's at $13. Uh, Victor Hovland who two weeks ago uh, was a winner in the Memorial Tournament. Uh, he's at $17. And John Rahm, who won the Masters uh, earlier this year, he's at $11. So there's a lot of cream at the top of the uh, pile there, and they've all been very well supported. But at the moment, Scotty Scheffler has been very well backed. I do like the look of Colin Morikawa, who's down at $34. Now, he pulled out of the Memorial Tournament uh, two weeks ago with some back pain, um, but he uh, seems to be fully fit and will be teeing it up uh, in Los Angeles at the Country Club for the US Open, where he has already had a wee bit of experience. He was a member of the 2017 American Walker Cup team. Of the four game matches that he played, he won them all. Um, so he knows a fair bit about this course. Looks like he's healthy as well. And he likes California. He's a California native. Uh, he won the 2020 PGA Championship uh, and I think it was TPC Harding Park up in San Francisco. So a lot of good things. I think he's huge value at $34. Um, so he's one that I will definitely be backing in the US Open. And Sammy tells me it's his home course as well, so he'll know it like the back of his hand, which is... 
Now you've just paid you've just paid out the NBA championship winner. Knowing you good yes. folks, I bet you the outright winner is open for next year, a year out from it happening. Very interested to know what the two finalists are paying to win the whole thing next year. <laughs> Let's have a little vote for him. Uh, right, favourites, here we go. Denver Nuggets, $5. Their equal favourites, though, with the Milwaukee Bucks also at $5. Um, I'm looking further down the page. Miami Heat, they're at $23. Oh. So, yeah, yes, maybe a little bit of value there on the uh, Miami Heat, who, um, look, who did really well. Remember, they had to play in to get into the finals. They were the number eight seed in the East, made it all the way through to the NBA finals and took a game off Denver in Denver. So if they could add another piece or two to their puzzle, um, they could be very, very good next season. So yeah, favourites at the moment though, the Nuggets and the Bucks, both $5. Miami Heat at 23. Um, Just having a look. We've already had a wee bit of money for the Golden State Warriors, who have been very, very popular over the last five or six years. They're $12 to win the NBA championship. And the last one I want to ask you about is the Ashes. Um, we've just had Mark Howard on, wonderful cricket commentator. He's got the Howie Games podcast as well. Um, of course, he's cheering for Australia, but this one, just with the influence Brendan McCullum's had on the English team, the anticipation around this one is, is incredible. And I think the first test, I think one team's going to win it easily, but I don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can tell you, we're just having a look at the um, overall series winner at the moment, uh, and Australia are $1.83 uh, to win the series. England are two fifty-five, and the draw is at seven twenty-five. Look, there's been money on both Australia and England in that series winner market. Um, so, obviously, with Australia coming off straight off that World Test Championship victory, um, they'll have a lot of co- – well, I've never seen an Australian team that was short of confidence, but they'll be boosted even further um, with that win against the Indians uh, in that World Test Championship series. But England have been in a just a fantastic run since uh, Baz McCallum took over as coach of their Test team. Um, so you can understand while there's been why we've had support for both teams at the moment. The boys have also got a number of boosted markets for the series as well. One that's been very very popular, Scott Boland, who was super impressive against the Indians in that uh, World Test uh, Championship. Uh, him to be the top series wicket taker in the Ashes, uh, it's been boosted from 750 out to 850, and punters have jumped on. I reckon there'd be some people who have taken the power plate, Dave Warner, to get three-plus ducks during the series. <laughs> it's, seven t- it's $17. I mean, you'd be happy if it happened, but you'd be wealthy and happy if it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. send, I'm sure there'd be a, quite a few Kiwis cheering for that to happen. Well, he's so, he's yeah. going to have 10 turns at bat, probably. Mind you, if he makes three ducks, he probably he'll be, he won't play all five tests. But, yeah, a lot of good power plays there. I, I do love them. Hey, Paulie, uh, good catching up with you, bud. Enjoy the rest to your day. Very good, Steph. Have a good one, mate. Cheers, mate. Paul Mawadi, you get to the tab.co.nz, but it's even easier. Download the app. You get a little tile on your phone. You hit that. It's open. Happy days. Happy days. Do it responsibly. Be 18, please. We'll find out what's making news shortly. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world. You're about to find out. You most certainly are. 
I was actually going to bring this up with uh, Paulie Moati, and I'm going to um, ask you about it, Steph. Have you heard of the Phil Jackson 40-20 rule? And I'm not talking no. the great game of rugby league no. uh, with the 40-20. So I Phil Jackson... Like I, f- I might keep going. You probably have. The Phil Jackson had a theory, right, that you wouldn't... You would only win an NBA championship if you won your 40th game before you lost your 20th. Oh, okay. So you have to win your 40th before you lose your 20th. Now, I'm going to take this on board because the Denver Nuggets finished. They, they won their 40th before they 20th. They, they fit the bill. In fact, only three teams this year fit that bill. It was the Nuggets, the Celtics, and I think the Bucks. So the winner had to come from one of those three. I think that's how you maybe at the start of it, well, not the start of the season, but midway through, that's how you can pick your champion. It's just which teams get to 40 get to before 40. to 20, and then that's your shortlist, Ooh, right? I like something so to look at. every champ over the last 42 years has hit that mark except for just four teams. That's pretty good odds when you think about it. Four out of 42 um, are the exception to the rule. The 2021 Bucks, the 2006 Heat, the 2004 Pistons, and the 95 Rockets. Everyone wow. else, 40 wins before their 20th odds. Just bank that in the back of your mind. Um. Definitely All those stats that they bring out on ESPN, like, you know, they've never won a title on a Friday when it's raining outside and it's, <laughs> you know, it's the 13th or whatever. Think about the 40-20 rule and think about Phil Jackson, the greatest coach to ever, to ever coach the game. Someone in Philadelphia, unrelated, has stolen a 300-pound cannon. You know how they have those cannons, like, at war memorials just yeah, sitting yeah, out yeah. there? And they've generally, like, iron cast them, right? Like, they've put them through a sort of paint system that just makes it look plush and nice it completely unfunctional but someone has stolen it um, from the historic Fort Mif- Mifflin in Philadelphia 300 pounds is what 150 kegs it's a heavy cannon it's a big cannon and uh, the um, people of South Philadelphia don't have anything to worry about they did have to release a statement though saying that it is not work oh sorry it does work they do have something to worry about the cannon does work and is potentially dangerous <laughs> I thought it said it, they, it didn't work, but it does work. How about wow. that? How about having a live 300-pound cannon in your backyard? Free to use at your leisure. November Illegally. <laughs> wow. You could, yeah, you, you'd cause a lot of fireworks. Speaking of cannonballs, and actually cannibals, if I may, because the state of Nevada, very American feel to um, what's making news today, the state of Nevada is under attack right now from millions of ferocious cannibalistic uh, insects. But, uh, I saw the photo of them. They're basically grasshoppers or crickets. And they eat humans. No, no, no. They eat each other. Oh, well, so here's the thing. That. They're called Mormon crickets. <laughs> Do they, like, go around door to door and... <laughs> Oh. Knock on your door and I do you have some time? Just, do you have some time, sh- hear, to time to hear about Papa Grasshopper? They just eat each other later in the day. Technically, these short-winged katydids that, that resemble fat flies need to get through this because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, that resemble fat, flightless grasshoppers grow to be two inches long, eat more than four hundred species of plants. So there's just a lot of them around, which is sort of the problem in itself, staff, because no one wants crickets overtaking their town. Aside from staining homeowners' properties with feces and leaving behind mountains of fallen soldiers, uh, tooth Mormon crickets also cannibalise the dead. That creates a whole different mess because oh, yeah. you know they leave behind the the remains of their of the dead. So it's just an all round mess for Nevada. Shocking. Um, they might be cheered up by the fact that the Las Vegas Golden Knights are about to win the Stanley Cup and they can go celebrate with the grasshoppers in the streets. Finally. 
uh, a child prodigy is just 14 years of age. Karan Kwasi um, has announced news on LinkedIn. He's 14 years old. Um, that he has taken up a job with SpaceX. He is the youngest graduate. I think it's in America. He is the youngest graduate in America at 14 years of age. He was just nine years old when he was studying a maths degree at a local college. Um, and he transferred two years later to Santa Clara University at age 11, interned for several years uh, whilst researching in, uh, artificial intelligence, and at 14 years graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer science and engineering and is now uh, SpaceX's youngest employee. Let's get him on the show. Can try. Do you want a fact? Yeah, yes, you've thrown me, Mark. Nikola Jokic finished the playoffs averaging 52.9 combined. That's points per game, rebounds and assists. Sure. 52.9. Second most in the NBA history. Wilt Chamberlain, number one. Mm-hmm. Nikola Jokic, number two. He's wow. breaking records up the wazoo. He's only like 23 or something, isn't yeah, he? 23, 24, could be wrong. Do you want a fact from me? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've told you this before. It's um, obvious once you hear it. Do you know the brain is the only thing in the entire universe that's named itself? <laughs> And that's not all. I actually have a follow-up to that. Do you know no one actually knows who named Earth? Yeah, I don't. No. no one, there's no record of who first named Earth Earth. Let's we call just, that Earth. Yeah. But the, the brain did name itself, though. It just amazes me every day. Here's what happened back in the day. June 14, 2003, Johnny Wilkinson kicked England to a 15-13 victory over New Zealand in a one-off test at Westpac Stadium in Wellington. I was there. Watched that kick. Unbelievable. 2005, Asafa Pal broke the 100-metre record with a 9.77 in Athens. He took 0.01 seconds off Tim Montgomery's record. Birthdays today, uh, star of The Apprentice, Donald Trump, turns 77. Pat Summit, Hall of Fame basketballer, 71. Steffi Graf turns 54 today. On this day in 78, the number one movie was Jaws 2 and the number one song was this. Thank you, Sammy Hewitt. You can't go home yet. You're jumping into the studio with Running It Straight. Torhu Harris, captain of the Warriors, and Tony Kemp out of Newcastle. Newcastle? What's he doing there?